And while you make, oh, we're on. <laughs> As I drink my Calumet Farms, and Randall makes his last second comments. Yeah, I was, I, I was going to go check the baseball score real fast before we got there. I was going to make sure I was still up. It's, much as we uh, we thought. Oh my goodness! Let me tell you something. It, it's interesting. Fantasy baseball. So first off, the other angle. Thursday nights at ten. Illogicmedia.com. Draft for upside. Chappie's Fantasy Sports Group. Um, River City Media. Mary County um, Messenger. Yep. Am I missing anything? No, I think you're good. I'm glad I you said all. that. I'm glad you said that. Reminds me to go share it to all of our sides. Yeah, no, I, and I'll tell you, that's the great part about this. It's just the people that you interact with, the, the good folks that you meet, who, you know, share the same um, hobbies, the same loves, the same um, pastimes that we have. And that's that's what makes it so much fun. So really want to send a sincere, heartfelt big ups to everyone who supports us. Um, Absolutely. But, but with that said... We got a lot to talk about. We do. <laughs> um, so we're going to, as you usually do, we're going to talk a lot of fantasy football tonight, I think. Um, we're going to take, you know, put our toe in the deep end with college football a little bit. Um, and we're going to definitely talk about some baseball. Uh, as I said at 8 o'clock, I got like 15 pages of notes, and I think I got through like maybe five of them. So definitely still a bunch of stuff here to talk about with that. So we, we were formatting the show. We usually get together a little bit earlier. And I thought the couple of things I had prepared for the show. And I said, Chappie, did you get through all your baseball at eight? And you were like, this is the answer I get every week, folks. I've, <laughs> I've got like 27 more pages of notes if you want to go baseball. So, Well, I, and it – it's fun though, man, because what happens is, Randall, and this is just honest. I start off, I'll start off working on it. Well, you know, I'll usually Friday night, I'll start looking at it and I'll just like take game notes of like teams that I watch. And that goes a long way. You get a lot of information if you watch a couple innings a night. Yep. I usually watch about a game a night in some way, shape, or form. So and having MLB is nice because you get to you get to watch all the games. Mm-hmm. So before we get into some baseball, and we got a lot of baseball to talk about. But we're gonna kind of try and sh- shrink it down tonight, right, RC? Yeah, we got. I think I think we're gonna talk a little. Uh, the lead story I saw on ESPN was the college football and the the lead commissioner is trying to, especially the Pac-12 pushing the. Increase that tourney size. So that's a great story, too. We'll get, yeah, get yeah. to that later. Absolutely. But so you really kind of have to, at this time of year, this show in particular, I think it's important to know your audience and know what people want to listen to, right? This, I love doing my baseball show. I'll never stop doing it. But this time of year, people are starting to talk about football. It is definitely – so in my rhythm of life, uh, today is the second week of June. I'm calling and meeting with coaches, getting ready for my first right. broadcast. Right. I am nine weeks from being live on air. I am 11 weeks from being in Dillon Stadium. 
It's awesome. And, and, and right now, as you know, we're trying to plan something with Vic, a friend of ours, to do a promotion. And yeah. if we pull that together, we're six weeks from doing that. So it's right there. But the thing about I don't lose sight of baseball. I try not to. It's hard yeah. sometimes. And plus, we got the NBA playoffs, which all credit to this show really not about. But I try to keep my eyes on it as a Hawks fan. You know, they're in it. They're playing well. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one thing. I mean, you know, I'm a big college basketball fan. Um, I did see Javon Carter scored his first uh, playoff bucket the other night. Yeah. He's happy for that. So, but other than that, I don't really, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I just don't do the NBA, the NHL. It's not that I don't like them. It's just when you're married, you kind of have to pick, pick and, and choose. choose. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, so I, I choose to be really good at baseball, really good at football, talk a little college basketball, and go from there, right? Um, but let's talk just a little bit of baseball tonight. And I, I want to start with baseball. It's a big week for you, right, Randall? It is. I'm playing the old fear and arrogance uh, in our league. <laughs> and, and it's not it's not like Mr. Braves 44 has had the best season. He's won two series all six. And to be honest with you, I, I've made several comment. My whole outfield is kind of beat up, but I do still yeah. have quite a bit of pitching and it hit yeah. me really, really good this week as I started a six weeks six starts. On Monday to get ahead of Mr. Chappie. And I've hit just enough to stay ahead of you this week. Now, that's unusual for my team because I, I, I mean, Mike Trout's on the DL. Buxton. Uh, Buxton's on the DL. Uh, Dylan Moore, who was somebody I was depending on heavily in our league to be my middle infielder, my corner guy, my other outfielder. But I think I've just hit it right so far this week, you know? Yeah. Um, the two series I've won, I've got massive start early in the week. Uh, yeah. I've been also swept a couple of times. So, it's tough. That league's tough. It is. It is. And it's funny because it's one of those things where you start to get confident. And, I, I mean, you know, my team's pretty good in that league. It is. Uh, it's – yeah, it's I'm, – I'm happy with who I – I saw – did you – Sorry, side note. Did you just see Altivis Homer off of Keiko? Uh, no, I did. I I was watching baseball, but I, let me throw a little plug. I was watching. I have a friend at work whose nephew's a, a, a outfielder on Carson Newman's baseball team, and he's playing in a wooden back league in Nashville with a bunch of college all stars to give the pros a look. They're on Facebook every night. The uh, the Rhythm City baseball team. Great baseball, Chappie. Yeah. I, and I've got – because I know the kid. I've been watching it quite a bit. So, I've missed all major leagues this week because they're playing a big series against Patuka. Okay. So, Altuve is really – I mean, we talked about preseason, right? Right. I, I've been on him pretty heavily all year. Yes, yes, pre-draft. T- totally. Hits this. I mean, it was a curveball or a slider that Keuchel threw, and it looked. It almost looked like he threw his wrist at it, hanging out over the plate, hit it over the green monster. It was eleventh homer of the season, buddy. 
Yeah. He's on pace for 30 plus home runs. I, I think you felt like, you know, I don't know how I felt about that Astros going into the season, but even on this show, you strongly, strongly battled for Altuve. And I think you've and proven. Correa, and Correa too, right? And Correa. Um, but I, The the Astros can still hit the baseball, and they still are oh, a good team. Yes. So, yeah, and, and Dane, they might be the best team in the American League. They could be very well. I, I mean, and I'll tell you, it says a lot when you can go into Boston and play the way that they have. Right. I I, I look for. Them and the White Sox and the, the White Sox I've been super impressed with. I don't know how much you've got to watch them. I, I I've tried to pay attention this week and see a little more after our show last week. And you're right, the White Sox are on fire. It, it's it's not just that they're on fire though. They're missing now their two best players. Um, some pretty big supplement pieces, and Madrigal goes down on the 60-day DL. Yeah. I talked about Jake Lamb at 8 o'clock. Jake Lamb, when he plays, is hitting second in that line. Mm-hmm. He could play first, he could play third, and he could play the outfield. <clears throat> Do you know the White Sox started in center field and right field tonight? I have no idea. Danny Mendek and oh shoot. I said Lori Garcia, that was wrong. It's the other guy. He not good. Not good. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. It's not important because they're not fantasy relevant. Jake Lamb. All of a sudden, looks healthy. People forget how good he was in 2017, 2018, when he hit 59 homers over two years span. Right. What do you think about Jake Lamb and his future? Uh, you know, I think the Braves had him in for a minute, and I was kind of disappointed he didn't make the club. Uh, uh, the former, I've always liked Jake Lamb as a hitter and I think getting to the American league, and I don't know if right now they can even DH him a little bit or move him around, but Jake Lamb is kind of the, as the old school used to say, a professional hitter. And it seems like he's a guy and I, and I've never understood Chappie how he doesn't stick in places longer well, because he produces. Yeah. The, the thing about that is, is, that shoulder injury was pretty serious. Yes. And when he got that injury, he had a hard time coming back from it. It feels and looks as though he's completely healthy now. And he's got a really good opportunity in Chicago. With a really good team. For a lot of playing time, hitting at the top of the lineup, 
for a team that's going to score a boatload of runs. Not a bad flyer, is he? You got, Look, I talked about Miguel Andohar last week. We think Miguel Andohar goes for an league like ours in Fab this week for. Uh, I don't know. I'm I, kicking myself in the shin right now for not yeah. going ahead last week. And and I actually had him in the queue at one point, and I was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. And I, I really kicked myself. Uh, you probably – what I could have got him for last week, you probably have to 50 times at this week to get him. Right. So, um, really, 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 as you've uh, taught me, because I'm honest about it, I we had this conversation the other day. I'm about two years back into baseball in three years, and I'm trying to relive by that get a week ahead. Yeah. Last week was really the week to act on that, and this yep. week the whole world knows about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and I think that's Lamb next week. Very well um, could be. You know, the other guys I talked about, uh, let me get there. Um, the other guys I talked about were really good opportunities. One guy's available in our league. I'm going to bid on him. I'm not going to lie to you. Jake Fraley. Yeah. Jake Fraley out in Sandy, or Seattle. Seattle. Um, really, he's kind of has that post-hype sleeper. That, mm-hmm. you know, profile, but he's really patient at the plate. And he's going to benefit from seeing a lot of playing time with Kyle Lewis being being hurt. He's actually got more walks than hits on the year. That's impressive. So in an OBP league, <laughs> he's really valuable, right? See, that's the subtle differences that a lot of people don't even think about. Because in our league, right, what's the stat? OBP. No batting average. OBP. So a guy like Jake Fraley, who has 16 walks and nine hits on the year, sitting 333 over the last week, two homers and two stolen bases. What's the fab bid there? More than I probably have in right now, but I do have one in, to be honest. Yeah, it, but Chappie, does this not go back? And I watched I watched one of my favorite movies this week, uh, Moneyball. Yeah, and, and they're talking about Scott Hatterbur in that movie. And you know, Hatterbur was done as a catcher and had that serious eight uh, rotator cup. And and they're like Hatterbur's uh, two fifty hitter, and, and and the Billy Bean character goes, "Buddy walks a lot." If yeah. you're a 250 hitter in OBP league, or even in the real major leagues, and you walk a lot, is the goal not to get on base? Well, yes. But the dangerous thing about Fraley is he can take second. That's the Absolutely. difference between he and Hatterberg, between he and, uh, you know, insert guy here. He can steal 20 bases in a, late, in a year. He has that type of potential. So, so you're looking at a guy who could pay big dividends, in a, and especially if you're talking about, like, in a league where you're counting silos, right? So right. you're running – you want to get the most homers for the year and the most stolen ba- – in those leagues, he's really valuable. So, Chappie, uh, 
is it and I won't say his name, I'll let you say it. The the first baseman for Milwaukee, who's on my team, is it time for me to cut bait with him and go because he was sent down to triple A and Oh Hira? Yeah. Start looking at somebody. I, I, I hate to, you know, I was a big fan of his in the offseason. I drafted him very high. It's hard to admit you're wrong. Yeah. I, I know I I kept him as a keeper in in my league. In my big money league. And I, I let him go uh, like two months ago. And the the reason why I say that is the concern for me with Hiera is he went down to trip away already right. and had success. Got called back up. And it didn't translate. That's a huge red flag for me. Uh, yeah, and you we've talked about the guys like Joe Adele that's been sent down that was underperforming that get hot and you catch them on that first wave. It's time for jo- it's time for Joe Adele. Yeah. It's time for Joe Adele. Uh, Los Angeles needs to quit dragging their feet with him and let him come up and play. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think you leave Brandon Morris down, do you not? Yes, because Justin Upton's played well, and Taylor Woods played well enough to continue to play. So you're so, looking at Upton, you're looking at Adele, and you're looking at Ward, and I think Gosling's their fourth. So the point I guess I was trying to make, getting I got everything shared out, I was trying to get to is that second time they go back to the minors, that's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's scary because at that point you're really messing with confidence. Yeah. You're messing with, you know, psyche. And and that's a slippery slope. That's the Austin Riley syndrome that it's took him until now to get out of. And you know I've never wavered from him. Right. But it's took Austin Riley the better part of two and a half years to get his career directory back. But doesn't that speak to the importance of being comfortable in a defensive position. Absolutely. Transferring over. I saw Austin Riley. I was watching him last night make a boneheaded play defensively. Yeah. I can live with that. Yeah. Because I know he's comfortable there. He came in. He tried to barehand. Uh, I, I know you saw it. Yeah. He tried, he tried to barehand a, a dribbler. And threw the ball halfway up the first baseline to Freeman. Um, luckily, I don't believe they got this, the, the extra base off of that. But look bad, right? Look bad. You can live with it right now. You the have way to he's hit, The way he's hitting the ball, he more than makes up for it offensively. Absolutely. And he's comfortable there. He can wear an error there and be comfortable. Whereas if he makes an error in left field, he's thinking about it for three flipping innings. If he makes an error at third base, man, I'll get the next one. Is some of that the same problem with what happened with Glaber Torres in 2020? Or do you think it's just he cannot – is he lost his stroke or is it the defensive side of the game that's bothering him? It's neither – it's neither. He doesn't like New York. Which is 
a big it's a big the relentless the yeah. relentless he can't get from out from out from the boo birds in new york yeah well i mean he, he needs to go i'd love to see the cubs get him back i'd love to see the cubs get him back put him at second base put happy in left field put bryant in right field yep He's really not. If the Cubs get Glaber Torres and Max Scherzer, now we're cooking with gas. He he's not the same player, and we talked about that. And it's not the same sport. But how many young quarterbacks, i.e., Sam Darnold, three years into his career, had to get out of New York? And and I, I, when we ever get to football, I'm I'm telling you, there's some upside still left with Sam Darnold. Gleyber Torres is going through the baseball version of, well, and Sam Darnold had the worst foot quarterback coach in the history of the world. But New York's a big stage, man. It's a really, really big stage. I just think when it was good for him, he was, he was good. Golden. As soon as he struggled, when he moved over to shortstop, I don't know if he felt the pressure of trying to be like Jeter. I don't know if the fans put that pressure on him, if he perceived that they put that pressure on him. I don't know what happened there, but it has absolutely snowballed. Well, even on that same team right now, uh, it's took Miguel, and I know Miguel Andar had a serious hamstring condition, but it's really took him a year and a half, two years to get back to playing like the Miguel Andahar of 2018, 2019. Same thing with Austin Riley. You got to – Tell him where he needs to go. Yep. And put it's Lourdes Guriel's the same thing. Yep. You can't have Lourdes Guriel playing second base and left field and right field and third base. He doesn't do well that way. Nobody, re- I mean, very few do. Right. It's the same thing. Well, you and- have to you have to put Andujar. You have to treat Andujar as a middle of the lineup bat. You put your middle of the lineup bat in left field, and you put him in a spot in the lineup. It doesn't matter if he's one or if he's nine. You put him there, and you keep him there. You play Andujar in left field, and you hit him seventh the rest of the year. He gets hot, cool. He gets cold, cool. That's what you have to do with Miguel Andujar. I'm sorry. Yeah, to the – I think we're seeing the Braves do that also. I think the lesson learned with Austin Riley may be the same lesson with William Contreras right now. Yes, yes. Uh, They – even after they broke him and broke it, brought him up, he's catching four of seven days. And, you know, that's different for a catcher. If a catcher's catching four days out of of six or five out of seven, he's he's active. I mean, he's going to catch 120 games. Right. But the Braves didn't bring William Contreras up in same fifty percent of the time. I think he's played in twenty-seven games. Yeah, out of forty-two since he's been up. That's that's what you've got to do with a catcher too. I mean, I really think a catching is another. If they don't, it seems if if you don't catch, if you're a catcher and you don't catch consistently, you're bat. That's the reason. I think catcher struggled with being DHs so much in the American League. I, I I don't know if we're saying the same thing here, so I'll I'll give you my point on this. Okay. When you have a bat, yep, 
playing at catcher. Mm-hmm. You need to keep his bat active. Uh, yeah, we're saying the same thing. If that's a DH at first base, at life or right field, so be it. I talked about Tyler Stevenson for the Reds. at Right. Eight. How when Joey Votto got hurt, he got to hit clean up. Right. And play first base. Well, now that Votto is back, he moves back into that catch twice a week, right. fill-in type role. I don't think that's wise. I think you have to put him in left field. You have to put him in right field. You have to put him at first base. He has to be able to relieve all of those players, all of those stars on your team. When they get a day off, it should be via Tyler Stevenson. Right. I 100% agree. The same thing is the case, in my opinion, and I've said this since, well, really last, beginning of last year. When you bring William Contreras up, just like Joe Madden did with Wilson Contreras, he needs to play left field when he's not catching. He needs the DH when they play American League teams. Yeah. You got to get his bat in the game. I think that day's coming, but I don't think I agree. They, I, I don't think they're well. They're injured at catcher right now. It's almost have to, but that day is coming. So I figured this out with the Braves. Let me know what you think about this. I figured out what the Braves are doing with those two guys. Langliers is your everyday catcher. Yep. Contreras is your backup catcher and your backup left right fielder. Right. Yeah. I think that's what we're seeing. And I think that's beautiful. And, I think they both play five days a week. And possibly as Freddie approaches his mid 30s, uh, your 30 game a year replacement for Freddie. I disagree. Yeah. Uh, you don't think so? I think that's where Austin Riley graduates. To. I, that is, that is more than likely true, but they have to get. It seems like the Braves have struggled with an answer at third since they started moving Austin Riley around. So yeah, they're going no, to have to find I, I, a third baseman. Yeah, and there's nothing really upcoming through the works, right? That's that's the other part of it. No, I wouldn't be shocked to see them go corner infielder in this draft considering that they're late first round. That's where I was going. I was going to mention a guy like Josh Jones. So a guy like Josh Jones this time last year, if you look at it, uh, I think he was what, like the 12th or 13th pick. I don't yeah. know off the top of my head. Um, it, it, first half of the first round, right? Um, played major college, collegiate ball at Texas Tech. Um, has a pretty quick path of the majors, um, and, and I think that that's that's where the Braves go right. when they do decide to go that direction. I don't know if it's this year, next year, the year after. Um, but I think as long as Freddie's healthy, he's going to be the first baseman. So uh, I got one question for you about baseball because I've right. pl- played him twice in DFS. How are you? How, how do you feel about Alec Manoa's first two starts? First three starts. Three starts. <laughs> first one was, the, the, first one, the first one was absolutely dominating in Yankee Stadium. 
um, exactly what I expected to see. Right. The, the, the thing that you're seeing with Manoa is when he fatigues, his mechanics go south. Big boy. Yeah, uh, yes. So he, what happens is when he's healthy or when he's fully um, – he's at full energy, his arm angle is higher. His release point's more consistent. He's more, you know, um, true to his form. Yeah. But when, when he starts to get tired, he drops just a little bit, which leads to his 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 slider sailing, his fastball hitting missing the zone. And you know, it was a, he gave up one run. I watched him last, last night or night before. He given up one run going into the sixth inning. I think yes. it was uh the White Sox. And he just lost it was him, yeah, it was him and Lynn. He just he got tired and his ball started to sail. He couldn't find the zone on his fastball. He hung a slider and I can't remember who hit it out of the park. Maybe a Brayu because he hung a slider and it just got away from him really quickly because McCann's got back. So let's not. I'm not trying to for the folks listening. I'm by far not trying to bury him because no. when you look at the stat line. 14 innings, he's got 17 strikeouts. And he's like three ERA. The whip is the biggest concern, about a one-two, and I think that's where he gets wild. And but it'll come down over time. I'm not. I'm not mad at one-two. No, but the the the, the problem that I have is his repeatability isn't refined yet, and you'll have that. I mean, you have to think this kid has only a handful of minor league starts under his belt, right? So on MLB Network, I'm listening to some of the talking heads, and they're not questioning him. They're not. Uh, they're not berating him. They're not. They're just like you know, he's six six two sixty eight two seventy. Does he have to trim down to two fifty at some point or two fifty five? To just uh, Lance Lynn? No, uh, I, I don't think so. I I, I think he's fine. Um, the question was more about does it help his mechanics at 20 pounds less? He's a kid. Yeah. He's only had 10 minor league starts or something like that. He's pitching at the majors when everybody else is pitched. Look at Nick Lodolo. He's got more minor league time than he does. But by the way, Friday night, Hunter Green. Saturday night, Nick Lodolo. <laughs> you going to both? Uh, I, I know I'm going Friday night. Saturday's sold out. Friday night sold out, but I already have my ticket. So I'm talking about a minor league double A stadium sold out pre-COVID Friday night and Saturday night. So I, I'll tell you, and I know you know this. Nick Lodolo is going to be such a special pitcher. He is, and I, I will see him next week. In the next, in the next fifteen days, I'll see him pitch because I'm 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 worried. If I don't get it pretty fast. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I do want to see. Uh, I have to work this weekend, and the ticket for Friday night was given to me, and I was like, I, I look. Hunter Green's, Green's special. I go, I go. okay, I've got a 40% odd of it being either Hunter Green or Nicola Dola. I looked, and Friday night is Hunter Green's start. Yeah. And I do, and it, it it's down the third baseline. It's uh, in the walkway. Uh, it's actually the seats right at the walkway. 
So I'm probably 30 rows up. So I, I feel like I'm going to really get the feel of how the fastball looks from there. It's going to be really fun. So uh, if I have time, you might see me on Chappie's Fantasy Chat or on, yeah, uh, please. Absolutely. Or on uh, uh, River City a little bit. So I, I, I'll tell you, my take on those two guys, I don't know that there's a more talented one-two minor league combo out there. No, I, it'd be hard to press. Hunter Green, to me, could be the best pitcher in baseball in two years. Uh, absolutely. Uh, they they said that – I can't remember the stat, so I'm just going to – but they said that a pitcher had thrown over 100 miles an hour in the minor leagues like 22 times so far this year. Uh-huh. And he had thrown – 28 in his first time out or something like that. It was something like that. 37. Thir- okay. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about – it, re- it kind of reminds me of ro- a young Randy Johnson. It's 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 very Randy Johnson-esque in the, in the seeds. Randy Johnson didn't throw that hard. No. But what he did was because he was so tall. His release point was so far closer to the plate than the other pitchers that right. it added to the velocity. And absolutely. Hunter Green gets on you quick because of how fast he throws. Uh, absolutely, and um, you know, and it's, and I don't mean to be. This is not a morbid thing to say, but he's already had his Tommy John done, right? So yeah. that it. it, it Shame on you, parents going and getting Tommy John's done for sixteen-year-old. Right, Hunter Green needed it done. It got it done. You got to think his arm is still a plus 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 arm after the surgery. It's just going to be the betterment of his career now. You know, and that's that's the thing is you know a lot of these guys in this day and age come back and they throw harder. Yeah. Um, if you're throwing a harder than 100, 203 uh, miles per hour, then – So, so. The, the clock – the speed gun in the uh, lookout stadium goes 99. My friend uh, texted me the other night, and he said in the first 18 pitches, it went blank like 12 times. And yeah. he just – I mean, unreal kind of almost – I, you know, I remember hearing about Randy Johnson. Uh, I remember hearing about there's been hitters coming up through the minors that you just – you get that buzz, you know, when they get to the major. Hunter Green's got that buzz just because he throws that hard. So so Hunter Green's pretty expensive, right, dynasty formats? Yes. Lodolo is pretty cheap. Yes, and – and again, my friend that's a season ticket holder insists that Lodolo is the better pitcher. I agree. He insists. I agree. He, he says it's better to watch Hunter Green. Yeah. But the better major league prospect is Lodolo. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was my point tonight at eight. You're going to see Lodolo first. Uh, absolutely. And when you see Lodolo, he's going to be successful. Even in that park. Yep. So – it's 
it's going to be interesting later this summer in Cincinnati because both of those guys are going to push the envelope. Absolutely. Um, By the way, while we're on the Southern League, and we'll come right back to it. Go, guess who's number two in home runs? You can reach around bat. You're that back. <laughs> Langoliers. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you. Um, Hitting was, two, 258, eight home runs and 17 RBIs in 27 games. Do you take that at the Major League Braves? 260, eight home runs, 17 RBIs? I, I tell you what I haven't done that I wanted to do when the draft happened. Compare Otley Rushman's minor league numbers with Shea Langlier's minor league numbers. That'd be interesting. And I'll do that for next week because, you know, I said at the time, I said when they were drafted that Shea Langlier's was going to be a better um, Major League Baseball player than Otley Rushman. I was the only one that I know of that said that. The only one. You may end up being very correct, sir. I mean, you know, you miss out on a lot of these, but, you know, Manoa's another one that I talked about. Anyway, it's funny because I often talk about group speak analysis. Sometimes you just have to put your own damn eyes on it and see it. Yeah. And when you watch Langlier's at at, uh, at Baylor. Yeah. Uh, Arizona's, 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 no, 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 it's, it's Baylor. It's Baylor or TCU. I can't remember. Anyway, it's a Big 12 school. I got it I right. I feel here. like it was Baylor. I think you're right with Baylor. You could see that he was every bit of – and, I, you know, as a Mountaineer fan, you got to see um, uh, Rutschman at Oklahoma State as well. Right. So, it, it's just, yeah, yeah. It, it's just interesting to see um, – how these guys get overlooked. Yeah, and when the Braves drafted Langoliers, again, I don't criticize the MLB guys. I mean, Harold Baines has been in the major leagues. Oh, they're great, I, yeah. But they, they were like, well, the Braves, uh, they almost made it sound like the Braves had so much in their minor league, it was a luxury to pick. Right. The Langoliers pick, who's a catcher that's going to hit 240 and eight home runs in the major leagues. So, yeah. And that's the funny thing. And like I said, I mean, you're going to miss sometimes. Yeah. But the the key is just watching and seeing, see, seeing what happens, um, seeing these players play. Um, and there'll be some cases of that this year. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year um, with the draft. You know, the Pirates pick first overall. I'm excited to see what happens there. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's got to be lighter, but I like rocker better. So, well, but, they're talking about you know, um, there's a couple. I think a shortstop in high school. That's yeah. I, I haven't done my research for that yet. So, but there's a shortstop in high school that's supposed to be uh, Wander Franco esque. So I, yeah. we'll see. We'll see if they go that direction. Well, this I hope Ben Sherrington's going to do the right thing, Randall. Yeah, this weekend if you're uh, if you're not watching Major League Baseball. Of course, it's super regional. A lot of these guys yeah. are out playing yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen the state of Tennessee more abuzz for college baseball right now than Tennessee and Dandy both hosting super regionals. LSU coming into Knoxville, so 
college baseball can be fun. I, oh, yeah. Here's the th- funny thing about it. I have probably seen more West Virginia baseball games than I have Tennessee with my daughter living in Morgantown at one point. It is great. You can go sit in the parking lot in the hospital. and it, Isn't that stadium great? Yeah. I, I tell you, we had a little tradition. We would go um, pick up Texas Roadhouse, which is right over from the little mall, and her and I would take and, uh, you know, pull the car up, open the trunk, get the chairs out, use a tailgate, and watch baseball. Yeah. And, and we, we saw Alec Noah pitch there, you know. Wait, you're talking about the old stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't seen the new stadium? The one right next to the hospital? No. The the okay. baseball state the baseball stadium's up on a hill now. They it's amazing. It overlooks the whole I have not, city. I've yeah. not seen that one. It's amazing. I've not seen a um a college game there, but I did see a semi pro game there. Well, she moved here in twenty eighteen. So I've not been in Morgantown since twenty eighteen. Yeah, no. The 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 new stadium is absolutely beautiful. Owe it to yourself to go see it. Okay. Well, I'll be I'll be in that area on the twentieth. So I I might I'll probably go at least find it. That's yeah. No, it's it's definitely way cool. So we ran a little bit over. I know you want to talk some college football. Yeah. So let's let's talk about it for twenty minutes or so, and then move into to, to some pro football. Well, Chappie, let's just we're really not talking particulars on college football. We're talking the lead yeah. story on um, yet on ESPN. It started on Tuesday. We actually broke them in, into air on Three R Sports Tuesday, and kind of went straight into this. Uh, it appears, and I will not try the man's name. All the respect for him in the world, but the new Pac-12 commissioner is really a LA strong industry. Uh, entertainment industry type, and he seems to be leading the charge for this new playoff system. And of course, as a fan, I've always believed they were going to go to eight teams right. to start with. But really, the model that I just read a story by Dennis Dodd, and I don't know if you know who Dennis Dodd is, he's CBS's beat writer in the Southeastern Conference, and he's a guy that's super respected down here where he basically said the votes are in place on the 20th and 21st expansion is happening. And he a hundred percent believes it will be to 12 games or 12 teams. Right. So I think this kind of came out of nowhere for me, not anything I heard a lot of buzz about until the last two weeks. How about you, Chappie? Did you see this coming or feel it was coming or. I guess I hadn't really given it a whole lot of thought. But when I when I think about it now, yep. it, being a West Virginia fan, if West Virginia University goes twelve and zero next year, yes, and Alabama goes twelve and zero next year, yes, and LSU goes eleven and one next year, and Ohio State goes twelve and zero next year, and Notre Dame goes twelve and zero next year, yes. Does WVU get in the playoffs? Probably not. Right. And so, that's not that's not right. And so I, when I you're when you're not. look when you're looking at a team like an Illinois, like an Arizona or Arizona State, like 
uh, Rutgers or Maryland, like a Wake Forest, and you go undefeated. Yes. You're still not guaranteed that spot. No. Current state. No, sir. And that's a shame. Because if you're in a major five conference and you go undefeated or if you have one loss and you get snubbed, you deserve to be in that game. At least, at least a chance to show your backside. So I went and pulled the stats from all the games, Chappie. The the one thing that I read in all the articles was there are some fatigue. And yeah. I, 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 went and, I went and broke down. The game started in 14. So there's been 56 bids placed since 14. Four teams, or say it's, excuse me, yeah, it's nine years, or, or eight, uh, excuse me, eight years. So that would be eight, 32 bids. Let me make sure. Four. Six, seven, eight, nine. Nine times four, 36. 36 bids have been made. Right. How, how many teams do you think fill out that 36 bid field? Low. 12. It is currently 10. Yeah. Uh, with three teams only being one time. Yeah. That being. Georgia, Washington, and Michigan State. So of those 36 bids, 32 of them are accounted by Clemson, Ohio State, State, Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU, LSU, and Notre Dame. Yep. I, I, as a fan, did not realize that. I did. I I guess because I sit here in the South and I'm more focused on ACC football and SEC football, I'll admit, I watch a lot of ACC ball. I absolutely think we need to get more teams involved, and I think it'll make for a more interesting playoff. Do you, I mean, in some of the teams that's been left out, the UFC team, would you have liked to see that team in the playoffs? Of course. Absolutely. Cincinnati last year. Yeah. Love to see them. Yeah. Wisconsin, the year they were left out in favor of Washington, and Washington got blew out. Baylor. Oh. Baylor has been at the door twice of the playoffs and been left has out. Has TCU been in there? TCU has not been in. They've been close. The only team from the Big 12 to ever be in the playoffs Oklahoma. is Oklahoma. The – Pac-12, the only team to ever be in the playoffs is Washington. USC's never made the playoffs. USC no, has you're never right. made the no, playoffs. You're right. I, I, I guess my fatigue with the playoffs was, as I said on three R's the other day, I you know I've got I've lost interest a little bit in playoffs because it's become Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and a fourth. So, this is going to be fresh to me. Now, and what do you count as successful? Let's define that. Right now, if you make the top four, that's a successful year, wouldn't you think, Chappie? 
It depends on who you are. <laughs> Good point. I mean, yeah, I mean Alabama. No. Good point. Yeah, if if you if you're West Virginia or Tennessee, absolutely, flippantly. Clemson. Yeah. Just making it is not good enough. Yeah. Notre Dame and Ohio State's the same thing. So what we're going to have if this proposal passes is – I'm going to read you what the – first of all, I'm not sure how I feel about the Mountain West getting an automatic bid. How about you? I don't know. I'd have to look at it. I, I'm, I, I mean, I, I understand the concept of it. I understand them wanting to um, give the little guy a chance. I do, too. I like the conference that you all were left in the Big East to become a football conference with UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis. I like that conference better than I do BYU, Nevada, Boise. I, I don't know how you get one without the other one. So, but I just went and took the top 12 teams, uh, regardless of conference this year. Of course, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame qualifies for the playoffs. Right. First round uh, in our five versus 12 matchup, we get Georgia, Cincinnati. Great matchup. We get Florida versus Iowa State. That was a bad Florida team was was going this way, the Iowa State team was going that. I really think that could have been an upset there. We get Indiana versus Oklahoma. Indiana in the playoffs. And what would have been a monster matchup to me, Texas A&M gets Coastal Carolina in a matchup. I, I don't care Oh, Chappie, I'm watching all four of those games, and I'm excited. Yeah. No, you're right. And you're right. If Georgia, Cincinnati, that winner gets Alabama, you could have Georgia, Alabama again, or you could have saw Cincinnati get Alabama. Right. Uh, I've already said I thought Florida, Iowa State had a shot at Florida. Iowa State was a good team. You would have got Iowa State, Clemson. Yeah. You would have got Oklahoma or. Indiana, how fun would it have been if Indiana had won that? Or AM versus Notre Dame. Come on, man. That's good stuff. Last yeah. year, year before, uh, and then I won't go through a huge amount. The year before, in the five versus 12 game, we get Georgia and Auburn in a rematch. We get Oklahoma and Utah. To me, that that is great. Baylor. Penn State, Wisconsin, Florida. The winner of Wisconsin, Florida plays LSU. The winner of Baylor, Penn State plays Ohio State. The winner of Oklahoma, Utah gets Oak Clemson. And I don't, I didn't write down the fourth team. I don't remember who it is. But the winner of George Auburn get that. Bama. Yeah, Bama. So in my head, I got more excited by doing that little exercise and. The only thing I will say is I think you've got to be, and I'm going to ask your opinion of this, don't you've got to go to the NFL and say, hey, guys, it's always been your oyster after this date. This is what we're going to think about doing. Where would you like to see us slotted at? You don't want to step on that NFL Saturday. You, you want to work with the NFL because 
Well, the, the NBA loved college basketball until it didn't love it anymore. So, yeah. and that's the thing: the NFL is going to put their finger on the table anyway, right? Absolutely. That's my PG version of it. They're going to say, "Hey, ours is bigger than yours. You're going to have to conform to ours." So you may as well go and lockstep with them. I think so. And the thing I've read, uh, do you like conference championship games? Is that because I've read that the the talk is to maybe possibly do away with the conference championships to move the the extra week. Yeah. Move, move the the regular season back to the traditional 11 games that you and I grew up with. And then you would start, you may see the first week, and you wouldn't have the whole month off. You might see, like, around um, the first week of December, the opening round of the playoffs. And then you still figure, finish up at the same first of January, you know. Yeah. Stagger the games over two or three days. I, I'm really excited about the possibility. Well, yeah. it's, de- it's definitely a big money-making venture. That's for darn sure. Um, and again, the reason why I'm on board is because of the variety. Even if you're, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah, my it, it will benefit my team. It will benefit your team. Yes. Um, someday, not now, but someday. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it, that's the thing is, you know, teams that um, have never even sniffed the playoffs will now all of a sudden be um, at least in a position where they can get there. Yes. So. Here's the stats. Right now, only 7% of college football team has been to the playoffs. Yeah. The little example I did, I went through every year and, and threw in a, a, a guaranteed bid for the Mountain West. If we had done that over the last nine years, 30% of all college football teams would have been in a playoff game at some point. Yeah. Very worthy to me. Very interesting to me. Inclusive. Inclusive, and you can still use your bowl games as future sites for the yeah. playoffs. Yeah. Well, and you can still, I mean, if, you don't, if you're not in the top 12, you can still go and play in the Citrus Bowl or whatever. Yeah, you I'm, know. Sure, I'm sure that will continue. Right, as it should. The, uh, also, the financial factor, they're saying, you know, seven times the money coming in. Oh, no doubt. And the thing with me that it sets up, when you run back through those examples, it sets up a lot of rivalry games. Absolutely. Rivalry games at neutral sites where you're going to get natural draw. Absolutely. So it's going to be the Baylor, you know, Penn State versus Baylor or Ohio, or Ohio State versus Baylor or Penn State, right? Yeah. Either way, you're going to be Baylor, Ohio State, or you're going to be Ohio State, Penn State. Either way, it's a win. <laughs> yeah. My favorite my favorite year was 2015 when I did it. The top four seeds would have been Clemson, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oklahoma. To open it up, we got Iowa and Ole Miss, Stanford, TCU, Ohio State, UNC, in Notre Dame, Florida State, that would have been such a great football week. Yeah. Just, just the fact you've got Iowa and Ole Miss, and, and you know my school is a struggling school in football, and 
a, a traditional power up to 20 years ago that's kind of went its own way now. But a school like Ole Miss to make the playoffs, yeah, that would be – they would burn the campus down. Like they would be West Virginia cats burnings going on for them to make the playoffs. Morgantown, if West Virginia made the playoffs, same thing. And I guess the negative of it I've heard was, well, does it mean anything to make the semifinals? Well, does it mean anything to make the NFC Conference Championship game? To me, it does. Depends on who you are, right? Yeah, Atlanta Falcons, we're happy for it. I'm not necessarily the uh, Tom Brady leg teams, but the Steelers, that's eh. yeah. But if it was the Cleveland Browns, it would absolutely. be huge, monumental. So yeah, absolutely. I guess it's something that this week I've I've went from. I'm worried about the tradition of the game, and I was when I first heard this, too. Man, this is going to be so much fun and so exciting and so much like every other division of football. I, I went from negative about it to positive. I've always thought it needed to happen. I'm on board now, 100%. Yeah. And, and I would be the first guy to get in my car. If they need to fill up the stadium – if you tell me Coastal Carolina is getting to play Georgia in the college football playoffs, I don't have a dog in that game. But for that night, I'm going to go be a chandelier or chandelier or whatever it's called. Yeah. I would love to see it. Love, love, love to see it. West Virginia is playing Ohio State in Atlanta in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. I want to go for the event, it, you know, yeah. if I don't have a rooting in. And that's a great point. That's a great point. The, those games are to-dos. Yeah, absolutely. The, they're events. They're, they're, they're something that you don't, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. And the last point I want to make, and then we'll go on to the NFL, I think this makes more teams better. Yeah. I think I think kids uh, that are going to Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State because they're the only schools that are going to get in the playoffs. It opens up doors. You can be in a yeah. Florida State now, or yeah. a TCU, or a Baylor. And say, look, we've been there. We've been there four times in the last ten years. Uh, right now, there's not many people out on the recruiting trail that goes. Hey, we we'll get you to the national championship tournament. You know, right? There's nine teams saying it, and, and arguably, I, I sit here on the Tennessee Georgia line. The fact that Georgia, who is to me even even more than LSU, the second best team in the SEC, has made it one time in a decade, right? Really shows you how injustice the system is right now. So, or or. At the same time, Baylor has never made it. USC's never made it. You know, it's just Penn State has had a great run the last decade and never got there. Right. I want to see those teams. So I got one question, and then I do want to – because we got a half hour. Yep. Does this proposal take away – from your Division II powerhouse teams? I do not believe so, and here's why, Chap. 
I think the guys who are Division Two guys that are upper echelon, they have their own fan base. Right. Uh, we used to host the championship game here in Chattanooga before it moved to Frisco, Texas. And I'm going to tell you, being in Chattanooga, when Montana played North Dakota State over right. the football stadium in front of 30,000 people, they didn't nobody care about Alabama and Clemson that right. was in this town. Right. They, no, all they cared about was North Dakota State and Montana. Right. I think that upper escalon is still – and, you know, that unfortunately, I'm a big Division II guy, or as it's called, football championship series. Um, but not, yeah, I didn't want to butcher it. That's why I just said that. I knew you knew what I was talking about. Football championship series teams is a unique – Unique thing, and I, I think college football still has a place where, where James Madison and 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 Chattanooga and Texas and everybody, I think you might see some teams move back to that level. Uh, if if you have no chance of making the playoffs now under this expanded mode, is there more incentive to stay in the Southland Conference? getting beat every week or is it more incentive to go play maybe division one double no it's a valid point and, and you know i mean i guess it just depends on where the dollars are right because that's what all college sports is absolutely tabby so I, it's it's an interesting conversation i don't know if i have feelings one way or another about it um, you know, my, my big thing is just the fact that, you know, it'll bring teams in that weren't really Include. realistic um, options before. Right. So, and, and, and in what was it, 2007, that West Virginia was ranked number two and loses on the last game of the year to South Florida, that team still gets into the playoffs under this scenario. And that team was good enough to win a, a, a championship. Back then, it was only one and two that got in, and that was even worse. Yeah. I I really look – this looks good for Neil Brown. It does. Because what he's building is special. And in a couple years, it's going to be Troy of four years ago. Good. So uh, – the goal would be to make the playoffs. Any school that can crack the top 12 is going to get to be in the big dance. Right. So. And then after that, it's coaching. Yeah. Let's, let's be totally honest. It is 100% coaching at that point. It's execution. I, uh, someone today said no one would ever win a game. And I so went Central Florida in 2018 would have beat Washington. Central Florida in yeah. 2018 would have gave uh, – they beat Georgia, who was right. also a team that would have been in the playoffs. Right. So you're telling me Central Florida would not have had a chance to beat Notre Dame. Yes, they would. Mm-hmm. Now, would a Central Florida beat Clemson or Alabama? Probably not. You don't know, though. But you don't know until they get yeah. to play. Yep. I, I always look back at the Sugar Bowl and whatever it was, 2000, whatever, um, when Rich Rod left 
the world against West Virginia. Yep, yep. And, you know, we jumped out to a 28-3 lead, um, hung on, but nobody gave us a chance. I think it was like a nine. The, the country had gave us like a 90. West Virginia was the only state to pick the Mountaineers to win. It was 97% to 3%. Yeah. And, and WVU smoked them. And they beat Georgia, I think, was ranked number two or three. They were up there. They were a um, – and that was part of it because they thought they were going to get to go to a BCS Bowl and blah, 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 blah. I think they finished third and ended up not being yeah, – that's back. That's it. That's it. Yep, yep, that's it. That's it. Um, and then Rich Rod left for Michigan, and we were supposed to be flat um, – Bill Stewart came in, and man, you know, Bill Stewart's an underrated coach for sure. Um, gave the speech of his lifetime, and Pat White and Steve Slayton went out and just dominated Georgia. It was really cool. So, uh, was one of the first guys to drive on the Bill Stewart turnpike over by the mall. So, uh, nice, nice. All right, man. So, let's talk some football. I, I, I know you want to talk about this. Julio Jones straight. We'll be heartbroken when we get there. But so I'm I'm working on my article for um for the website. And my article I'm writing about the Steelers and I'm writing about the Bengals. Yes. We've talked ad nauseum about the Steelers. I, I'm not gonna talk about that today. I want to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Briefly. What's your thoughts on Cincinnati? Are they a playoff team? Are they a borderline playoff team? Are they way off? I think it comes down, uh, and we've already addressed him. It's kind of, I think, what 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 are we going to classify Joe Mixon as? Joe Is, Mixon? Joe Mixon. Is Joe Mixon going to be the back he's capable of being? Or is he going to be the back that I expect him to be? And I think that makes the difference whether I'm calling the, the Bengals nine and seven or eight and nine or ten or eleven teams possibility. I think their offense can be really, really good. Uh, they have good receivers. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins. They have good young receivers, matter of fact. Um, they, they signed a veteran running back behind uh, – Mixon, but Chappie, I just don't have a lot of faith in Joe Mixon, and it's funny you should mention this, right before we come on the air, I was here early I was doing a mock draft, I have the 10th pick in a league so I keep mocking through number 10 and Joe Mixon keeps coming up, and I keep ignoring him I yeah. don't have any faith in the dude, I don't think I would take Joe Mixon before a late third round. That's how little faith I have in him. Uh, but you, it almost, could it, could it be, it could be Dallas Cowboys 2020. Uh, they would probably be better than that, but are they going to score a bunch of points and lose a bunch of close football games? That's kind of what I fear uh, because they can't run the football. That defense needs Joe Mixon to be productive to shorten the game and not put it all on Burrow. 
I think they're a year away, Chappie. Where are you at on it? You know, it's funny. Perspective so so interesting. When I think about the Bengals, I think about the defense. Really? And I think about how they improved enough. But I, I think your point's very valid. Based on what you said, it, offensively, it kind of reminds me of the Steelers last year. And I don't know that that's a good thing. So, when you're talking about a team that can't run the ball, I, I'm lo- I'm looking at them right now um, on PFF. I'm not signed in, so it's got all their guys locked. Yeah, it, I, I'm in PFF. Sorry about getting bumped there for a second. That's okay. I, I wasn't sure if it was you or me. I was on the uh, that was PFF. Me. Okay, so so I'm looking at the PFF right now, and you're looking at you know, and again, I. Look, I, I said I wasn't going to talk that, about the Steelers. I'm not, other than to say that PFF has them rated the 29th best offensive line. Yeah. I'll walk on my hands and knees to town uh, if they're the 29th best offensive line next year. So, again, we, we talk about PFF's a great resource, but you have to interpret the data. Right. Uh, if you go listen to the general public, the Steelers lost two starters. They don't have any experience. Mike Tumbling likes his offensive line. I go there, and that's where I'll go from. Yeah. Again, without getting into it, yes, they lost two starters. They drafted the guy they wanted at center. Yeah. And they lost the right tackle first game of the year last year. Didn't play the entire year. People discount that completely. And, and I Okafor, think- Okafor will be fine at left tackle. I would rate the Steelers – I'm big at saying this term, so it's not an insult. You're an average offensive line in the NFL. That's a very good offensive line. There's a few elite lines. I think the Titans are elite line. But elite lines are not – They're not corner. deep, though. That no, hurt them no. last year. Uh, so that's, so that, that's the thing that I feel like people don't – I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. I know where you're going. Go. That's the, fe- that's the thing that I feel like the steel- the people aren't taking into account what the Steelers did in this draft. They addressed their depth. Zach Banner is going to be the right tackle. Kevin Dotson is going to be the right guard. Green's going to be their center. DeCastro is going to be their left guard. And Feeler or Okafor is going to be their left tackle. Whoever doesn't win that job is going to be the backup across the line. Yep. They've got, they've got nine players along the offensive line that they're confident in playing. And most How teams, many other offensive linemen or other teams can say that? Uh, very few. Most teams only dress eight. And the ninth right. guys carried on a taxi squad. Right. So if you've got nine deep, you're in great shape in the NFL. Right. And, and I was just looking at the Bengals, looking at their line, because I think yeah. it's improved. But I Absolutely. Mean, I only see what I would call six or seven quality NFL linemen. I, I really I – don't, I don't think I – th- I like the Steelers' offensive line 
even though the Bengals went and paid for Raleigh Reef at, at right tackle, right. I still like the Steelers' offensive line better than the Bengals. Oh, no doubt. It's not close. But what I'm saying is the Bengals' offensive line is underrated. Yes. The lack of consistent running game is going to make that offensive line grade out worse than what it actually is. Yes. What I my biggest concern about the Bengals, and I know we went a roundabout way to get there. Can they protect Joe Burrow's blindside? Can he get more than 2.3 or whatever ridiculous amount of time he had last year to throw? Can he get more than that this year? You would hope with the money they invested, it does. Uh, we go back to draft day. They were a lot of people that did not like the the Jamar Chase draft. They thought Sewell was the draft pick there. I love the Jamar Chase pick, but I think the Bengals have patchworked their offensive line. And, and last year it was so bad that, yeah, it's going to be an improvement. But let's hope they keep Mr. I, I, I root for people. Joe Burrow is the kind of guy I root for. He's just totally. a baller. Yeah. So let's hope they keep him healthy. Well, and, and you know, so again, I, I, I talk about not putting much weight into it, and then I'm going to put a bunch of weight into it. You know, the the 38th ranked tackle tackle out of 79. The 44th ranked tackle out of 79. So Jonah Williams, 44th, grades out of the 70.1. Riley Reeve grades out of 71.4. Their guards, um, you know, I'm looking at Michael Jordan, grades out of the 55.7, 60th of 80. Quint Spain, someone that I know, um, WVU grad, I feel he's, you know, 56th of 80 at 56.7. He's a better player than that. He's probably more of a tackle. He doesn't pull really well. He's a big guy. Um, but, you know, he's he's definitely someone who uh, protect, pass protects well. Right. Um, and then the Trey Hopkins actually is their best-rated offensive line at center at 18 out of 36, uh, 63.8. So, you know, like you say, not great. Not terrible. Um, I, I feel like you know, I it was one of those situations where when you have a franchise quarterback, you want to keep him happy, right? Keeping him happy was bringing in Jamar Chase, right? You you can address the offensive line next year. So let me let me throw a little different angle on the Steelers' offensive line too. The Steelers' offensive line is unproven. It doesn't mean it's not talented. Right. Kendrick Green, anytime you have a new center, it's a huge part of your football team. The one thing... The he's, a stud. he's a stud, by the way. Uh, no doubt, but I mean, uh, a rookie center is always a red light, you know, but you just play. What I'm the point I'm making is the Bengals' big addition is a right tackle, yeah. That they spent a ton of money on, right? Yeah, and 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 you know, I I don't mind seeing that 
are by an offensive lineman because that's an influx of talent. Right. And when you look at the Bengals' offensive line, there's nowhere in there that you have just a young stud coming in. They've got nice veterans that's been an okay player somewhere else. They've got an okay right tackle coming in from the Minnesota Vikings. I much prefer saying, I've got a young stud coming in to play center. The Falcons are related as the 29th line on the list that I'm looking at. But they have a they have a rookie center, a rookie left guard. It doesn't mean that they can't play. It means they are unproven. Yeah. At, at the end of the year, I think Atlanta may have an okay offensive line. So, and also, uh, back to your point, the Falcons will probably start five first-round picks on the front line. At some That's point. important. That's so important. You you get it sooner or later. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think I think Atlanta and Cincinnati have a similar issue in that I think they have talented receivers, unproven running backs, and an offensive line that nobody knows what's going to play like. I'm gonna give you a name for the Steelers on the offensive line. You ready for it? Yeah. Dan Moore. Junior, the offensive tackle out of Texas A&M. He's he's gonna play a role in this team, right? And what us as fans and, and a role. People killed the Falcons for drafting Jalen Mayfield as he was an okay tackle, right? Jalen Mayfield was the number one rated guard. Unfortunately for fans, unless you dig in the holes that we dig in, you don't get those analysis. So right. when, when people say the Falcons spent a third round pick on one of the worst tackles in the Big Ten, yeah, it's a guard that was forced to play tackle on his team right, right. that might have a chance to be an all pro at guard where he should have been. So, so. I'm I'm looking, sorry. I'm looking at the Steelers' PFF grade here, and I see their I see their problem. It's exactly. pretty it's pretty evident. They don't have, and this is why they have them rated 29th or 30th, whatever it is. Zach Banner's not rated. No. Zach Zach Banner was the starting right tackle for them, and he got hurt the first game of the season. The little website I use to go get my DFS plays, which I'll share to you off the air. Hey, I'll share all the fantasy information with the fans out there. This one, it's private, but <laughs> you'll share it. They have Zach Banner rated, and they have him at 20 seconds. So. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. Just like you said earlier, the Steelers love him. That's all I need to hear. Right. So, uh, and – Offensive line play is a, a, is a much – as a fantasy fan, I can tell you right now that Dalvin Cook is a great running mm-hmm. back. But I can also tell you that Dalvin Cook has a pretty good offensive mm-hmm. line in front of him. I can tell you that the Cowboys had the most dominating line a couple of years ago I've seen in a long time. Right. And Zeke Elliott was an all-pro running back. In 21, that offensive line isn't so well defined. And Zeke Elliott's going on the backside of the first round. 
Right. Uh, the, your offensive line, folks, when you go to draft, rate your offensive line, then rate your running backs. Because that's what old Daddy Randall does. Uh, and, and I'll say it a different way. Do your own research. Absolutely. On the offensive line. Because that's where so often group speak analysis kicks you in the butt. Yeah. So Randall's fastest moving running back on the board is Jonathan Taylor. You know why? That's because Indianapolis is Randall's favorite offensive line on the board right now. Right. So uh, the, the reason I have Nick Chubb where Nick Chubb is because I'm confident that Cleveland Browns have a good offensive line. Yep. So be informed. That's the best yeah. word I can say, be informed. Yeah. And, and don't just read one publication or listen to one set. Like, really understand what the dynamics are because, you know, I think we talked about a couple instances tonight where truth and reality are, are very different from, from perception. Um, right. And people that get paid a lot of money to have that perception, um, you know, like you say, PFF's a great site. They're way off. Yeah. Way off on this. I love Michael Thomas, the football player. He's a great receiver. But if Michael Thomas starts the year with Taysom Hill as his starting quarterback, right, he is not a daily fantasy player for me. Right. Um, to know, know your th- – <laughs> I'll give you one right now that um, let's let's go to that division. I absolutely am a believer in Rashard Bateman now after not being when they first drafted him. I liked him all along, yeah. Well, uh, my reason would be is that he's a route runner. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson is not that kind of quarterback until right. so, until I heard another side, another show say he's the second tight end in pseudo pattern because they're going to run him on these short crossing rider and right. give Lamar a good look at him. And then you start he's ju- going. He's Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, then you start going, oh, so yeah. he's not going to be 40 yards down the field right. like Marquise Bound. He's right. going to be five yards in front of him. I love it. So. Yeah. All right. I, we're running out of time, but I know you want to talk about this. I know you'd be so mad if we didn't talk about this. Yeah. Julio Jones. Uh First, let me take 30 seconds and say something to my fellow Falcons. That's, and I get right, I'm going to get right down here on you, <laughs> folks. If you're out on the message boards dogging Julio Jones, you need to go get a life. Julio Jones gave 10 years of his life to the Atlanta Falcons franchise. In about five years from now, when he's done playing football, He'll come back to Atlanta. His number will go up in there between Ronnie Rott and Claude Humphrey and Deion Sanders. Quit quit playing sour grapes. The Titans, I, I, they got a great wide receiver set now, Chappie. I saw it rated as the number one in the NFL, and I don't believe it. I, I can give you five sets I like better than A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. So – when you're fantasy drafted, don't overdraft it. Uh, Julio's going to be a clear second over there, but Julio makes them better. It's a very short window that the Titans have. We all know it. It's Derrick Henry. Right. right. 
Derrick Henry's in his fourth or fifth year. Uh, running backs, if if Henry lasts nine, ten years, it's been a long career for a running back. Mm-hmm. So you've probably got a three or four year old window here. They went and got the best receiver that was on the open market that they could. The Falcons got a second and a fourth, which is probably fair value when you add in the fifteen million in cap that the Titans took home. I, if it's not for the fifteen million, you got to think the Titans got a bargain, don't you, Chappie? And Julio Jones for a second and a fourth, and get a sixth. Yeah. So. The one thing to, to kind of sum this up, and I know we're running short on time, fantasy effect. I think this makes this probably moves Ryan Tannehill up a spot in my rankings, surprisingly right behind Matt Ryan. I now have Matt Ryan and Tannehill like 12 and 13. I had uh, A.J. Brown already in the top six. I don't think I move him from that spot. Julio, I moved down two spots to 13th, uh, and, and it's not a slide against anyone. I think I may have had Julio overrated just a little bit. Uh, I just thought Atlanta, he had been a little more pro- prolific. Calvin Ridley, I have as the fifth receiver in my top five. Russell Gage is currently ranked as the 64th receiver on Pro Football League Focus. He is wide receiver 32 on Randall's board. Yeah. I think he's the guy even more than Pitts that has a chance to go upside, upside. Um, I hated the trade, but in all honesty, it's a trade that had to be made, Jappy. Right. So so let me stop you for one second. Go ahead. Are you concerned about Russell Gage moving from the slot to the outside? I am. I'm also excited about the possibility of a moving outside. Um, we don't know what Arthur Smith's offense is going to look like. Right. I, I think during the preseason, you're going to see a different look. I think at times – so let's look at it this way. On third down, do you have Russell Gage outside or do you have six six Kyle Pitts running a four five forty on the outside and you have 5'10", 180-pound – Russell Gage in the slot. You beat me to it. I think th- I think those questions get answered pretty early on. If 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 Arthur Smith is the offensive genius that he's been led to, that we've been led to believe that he is, yeah, that's the no brain solution. Yeah, yeah. You you take Kyle Pitts. You say to him, "It's your rookie season." Tight ends an intricate position. Yeah, and you have Hayden Hurst. He's a Service exactly. Again, I, I know this is your team, but that's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You, you you take Hayden Hurst, you leave him as your tight end one. You take Russell Gage, you leave him as your slot. Yeah. You take Kyle Pitts, you put him at wide receiver two. Kyle Pitts to be uh, – and again uh, – you were doing the baseball show. We decided to split up that night. But it, I think it was – I think I said on the draft show, when I was a kid, Harold Carmichael was a six-foot-nine receiver in Philadelphia. 
DeAndre Hopkins is a 6'5", 245-pound wide receiver. Tavares was 6'6", 6'7". 6'6", 6'7". Herman Moore. Yeah, you've had those freak kind of athletes, but I don't know if you've ever had one that run a 4'4", 5". Well, you know him. Yeah. Randy Randy Moss. Yeah. (laughs) Look, we got to take that freak out of the equation. Never done an exercise in his life, and he was six, four and a half. By the way, I found, I found, we both are kind of card collectors. I found a state refractor rookie Randy Moss card and some cards I didn't even know I had. That's awesome. Beautiful card. I'll send you a picture. (laughs) I think, I think it gets fixed very early. I really think the Titans win that division over there. The Jacksonville's a year, a couple years away. Houston's a mess. And Indianapolis has Carson Wentz. So if Carson Wentz plays good, okay, the Colts are good. But I actually liked Phillip Rivers there last year more than I do Carson Wentz going into the season. I don't know why, but. I don't. I, I and and I'm, not, I'm not a big Wentz fan. I think I think you're right, but it's not. It's I ain't scared of Carson. It's Lance, it's right? close. It's yeah. close. The 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 thing for me is Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I, Jonathan I, Taylor in that offensive line to me makes it a good football team. Yeah, yeah. But so, you're, talk, you're talking about a team now that has elite wide receiver, a aging re, elite wide receiver, and the best pure hand him the running back. Folks, when I say this, stay with me. Hand the football off running back. Derrick Henry is the best in the NFL. Right. It, it, the combination, I think Dalvin Cook and Christian McCaffrey are better. But if I'm going to turn around and hand it to somebody, it's going to be Derrick Henry. So it's a, it's, it's a very good football team. It's strange. I live two hours from both cities, and you've never seen a more – Bitter and angry town in a happier, upbeat town than Nashville right now. Yeah, Nashville is so happy to have Julio. So they should happy. be. Yeah, and people in Atlanta were they're just miserable. Bad. Happy for the lack. I know we got to go, but it's it's for Atlanta. It's bad front office management for several years that brought us to this situation. It's bad contracts. Yeah, absolutely. And so the difference between the Steelers and the Falcons, the Steelers write bad contracts all the time, but they know not to overextend themselves. The Falcons wrote multiple bad contracts. They know that when they write Ben Roethlisberger a bad contract, they can say, hold on. Do you want to compete or you want all this money? Right. Right. So the Falcons, looking back after the Super Bowl, wrote Desmond Trufant a huge contract. Right. That is now $7 million of dead money on the cap. Right. They wrote Devontae Freeman a huge contract. This is the first year Devontae Freeman's contract is off the books. They talked Julio into writing a back-end loaded contract. Right. This is the year that back-end loaded contract maxes out. Right. The Titans actually get Julio for less money next year than they do this year. 
So uh, it was, and you've got to pay Matt. At the time, Matt Ryan was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL at $25 million. He's about eighth on that list now. So, yeah. One quick question before we jump. And we could talk about them next week. And I only mention it because, well, you mentioned it. Thoughts on Michael Pittman? Uh, Michael Pittman is a another. I I don't have a lot of sleeper receivers. I call right. I call them over. I have receivers that I have rated higher than their place in the majority, because I swear ESPN reads CBS, CBS reads Pope. They're all getting the information from the same yeah. spot. Right. I and they have, all stink. Yeah, I have Michael Pittman. Usually five to seven spots higher than consensus. Now, Carson Wentz, I, 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 earlier I was burying him, but I love Phillips Rivers' leadership in that role. But Carson Wentz can do some things out of the RPO that he right. could never have done in his, con, in his career. I, I feel like the coach should be better. Um, I feel like Michael Pittman should have a great year. I feel like he's passed an agent T.Y. Hilton by a long ways. Right. All that said is I feel like Phillip Rivers couldn't fault throw the ball downfield to T.Y. Hilton. And I would not see be shocked to see T.Y. Hilton have a bounce back year. And maybe that's still a little bit of Michael Pittman thunder. Mm-mm. You want to know who it is? Paris Campbell. Uh, I was going there next. There's also that wild card of Paris Campbell. The one thing T.Y. can do, I'm going to give you a comparison of T.Y. to somebody that's near and dear to my heart. Mm. T.Y. can still run the Deshaun Deshaun Jackson 40 yards down the field. But I really think Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman are the true wide receivers. Yeah, One, two, yeah. I think you'll see T.Y. in much more of a situational. Now, the one thing, going back to the trade, and I think this plays out for an old wide receiver, and this is the reason I think it's bad for T.Y. Julio in the South was playing nine games a year guaranteed on turf, eight at home and one in New Orleans. In that division, he only plays four games a year guaranteed on turf. So. I think that's good for a guy that suffered for turf toe three right. of the last four no, years. No, you're right. So. You're right. That's a good point. All right, man. What goes by fast? It always does. You got any last second? Man, so much going on. Nick, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I want to plug one thing. Yeah, sure. Uh, last week, uh, we did our first ever classic rock album review. It is way too much work for us to do that every week. So next week, uh, next Friday night, we, or next Wednesday night, we're releasing the second one. And if you love metal music or you like harder rock music, we are reviewing Pantera's Cowboys from Hell, one of my top 10 favorite albums of all time. So uh, that will be a lot of fun. My co-host on there, Mark, is a guy that plays bass, been in bar bands, really knows his stuff. So over 1200 views on our first episode of that that's awesome man yeah it was great great uh we'll be on next wednesday
Awesome. Sounds like a good time. I have to check it out. Yeah, I love music. Yeah, same here. Um, well, all right. Well, let's do it again next Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'm, uh, I'm about to go. Uh, there's a guy, a podcaster that was on at 8 o'clock that I wanted to watch and kind of fell asleep watching Nashville uh, Rhythm Baseball. And uh, I'm going to go ke- check his podcast out and share it to all the sites I was supposed to share it to at 8 o'clock. I hear he's pretty good. Uh, he's not bad. <laughs> he's he's a little egomanical. <laughs> he, he knows his Miguel and the horse. Hey, I picked him up in my big, big money league. I am stoked. Yeah. Well, you remember my horrible trade Well, was forced because I had drafted Miguel Andrahar with my second pick that year, and I was trying to find a third baseman. It's tough, man. It's tough. It all compounds if, if you don't if you let it, you know? Yeah. So. All right, guys. Well, we'll do it again next Thursday at 10. Um, hope you enjoyed the content. This actually is the other angle. <laughs> and uh, like I said, appreciate you guys. Take care. Yeah.